0: Your Bible, please, to the 37th chapter of Genesis. We've begun a couple of weeks ago looking at the life of Joseph as a great instructional issue or historical record about the providence of God in particular. I want to look at this through about the end of September. It's not going to take months and months, but it does cover a significant piece of Scripture in the end of Genesis. And I'm picking up right in the midst of action that I read some about but didn't comment that much on last time. As Joseph went out to minister to his brothers, sent by his father, find out what they're doing, he went and pursued and uh, worked hard to find out where they were. He was honest about the errand his father had sent him on. But the minute the brothers saw him coming, their jealousy boiled up. They were ready to kill him But we're stayed in that by the voice of oldest brother, Reuben. And I'm coming right into the action there. I'm going to begin at verse 25, where they have thrown Joseph into a pit, an empty pit, waiting what they shall decide to do about it. And and notice the callousness as I read 25, that the first thing they did, having attacked their brother, they sat down to eat. Must have been a happy fellowship meal. Listen to God's word here, Genesis thirty-seven, twenty-five. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, "'What profit is it if we kill our brother "'and conceal his blood? "'Come now, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, "'and let not our hand be upon him, "'for he's our brother, our own flesh.'" And the brothers listened to him. So Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in it, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, "'The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go?' And then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him, and Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. of the guard. Now we're jumping over chapter thirty-eight because it's a parenthesis issue, a different issue, and I just want to read the first two verses of chapter thirty-nine. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. This is the word of God. We're thinking today about incidences and conditions in lives that we would look upon and say, well, that certainly was a detour from the plan I expected. I want to remind you of a particular life that's nearer in historic time, an American life, one you probably feel you know a lot about, and yet I'm not sure if you'll all identify right away. See how quickly you do identify the individual whose detours and failures I'm going to describe. At the age of nine, this boy's mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk and had to do farm labor, menial labor, he dreamed about studying the law, but he could not go anywhere or be apprenticed to anyone for, to become a formal lawyer at first. At 23, he bought a partnership in a store, and it happened that his partner had run up a lot of debts and then he died, so this man was left holding large debts that he had to honorably pay. At age 28, he had courted a particular woman for four years whom he desperately loved, and wanted to marry and she finally turned him down and was ready to marry someone else at age 37 he made 3 tries before he finally was elected to congress on his third try but 2 years later he lost his reelection bid and he was no longer a congressman later on at age 45 he tried to run for the US senate and lost that Four years later, he tried again for the Senate and lost again. Now, all those defeats and setbacks and detours occurred to one man who seemed to be a failure at everything that he tried. But finally, at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln new failure and detours and dead ends throughout his whole life for half a century before God put him in a position of great responsibility in which I think you well know he acquitted himself wonderfully. And we ask whether he was a great president in spite of all those detours in his road to the White House or was it possibly because of the hard conditioning that God took Abraham Lincoln through that he became such an extraordinary leader well I remind you that we met the biblical man Joseph at age 17 Boy, when I was 17 I thought I was on top of the world the sky was the limit I could do anything I wanted to I could major in college anything I wanted to major on and I'd was pretty confident I could get through. I thought about medical school and had I chosen that way, I'm not being egotistical. I had good enough grades, I think I would have made it through medical school. I felt like the world was my oyster and I could go anywhere and do anything. I had no glimpse whatsoever of what my life would contain. Not the ministry, not at that point at least. Not aligning myself with a liberal denomination which I could spend six years in and then say I can't stand it anymore and go off to start a new congregation with 12 people in a living room. I certainly didn't plan on that at age 30. And there were things that certainly seemed like detours and dead ends in my life. Who of us really does have an accurate vision of where we're going at age 17. You know, you go to a high school graduation and it's full of optimism. You know, if optimism was like helium at a high school graduation, the whole school property and everybody on on that ceremony would float right off the ground. But all too soon students learn that dreams and plans and college majors and other things are hard to bring about or hard to define where it is you should be and Sometimes you try something and it doesn't work or there's a sudden uh, reversal in your life, in your family, your health, something that completely changes where you were headed. I wonder if you're aware today as you think back that the Lord, your God and Savior was part of any reversals and dead ends and detours that your life has taken, just as much so as all the good things that you can think of that your life has accomplished. Well, our time is a little shorter today with the Lord's Supper before us, but point number one, I want to say this from the text, that Joseph ran into a sudden detour that appeared to smash his youthful dreams. It's really kind of amazing how the stories of patriarchs in Genesis are full of brothers hating brothers, or competing with brothers. Ever since Cain filled Abel, the first two children born to Adam and Eve, one killed the other. and We had Jacob and Esau and other events of rivalry and jealousy and hatred. Well, Nothing rivals the way in which 10 older brothers from different mothers hated and wanted to eliminate their younger brother, much younger actually brother, Joseph. We don't know precisely the age span, but you probably should think of Joseph at 17, that these older brothers were, I think the gap to the next one was probably close to 10 years or more. So they were in their late 20s or 30s, mature men. Well, at least we wish they were mature. We already have learned in an earlier chapter that Reuben, the oldest son, the firstborn of Leah, who should have been the family leader, did a shameful, disgraceful thing by sleeping with one of his father's wives and he more or less lost his favor with his father, which is probably one of the reasons why you heard in what I read today that he was arguing not to further provoke Jacob by uh, having Joseph killed. Reuben was not an honorable man and he had not done honorable things. So along came this young punk This is a wealthy family, very wealthy family. They had huge herds. Somebody would inherit the leadership from elderly Jacob, and it was obvious in the eyes of these older men it was going to be Joseph. Their younger brother, with his pride and what appeared to them to be an ego, was the one who was going to have the leadership they should have had. And Their anger at that was murderous. Now, you need to remember... We have a unique vantage point on this whole story. I'll call it a helicopter's eye view because we know not only how this story starts and what's going on in the passage I read today, we we know how it ends. So we can see Joseph going through all this tough mistreatment. And if we could go whisper in his ear, we'd say, don't worry, Joseph, don't worry. I know the end of the story. It's going to come out all right and you'll be on top and you'll have power and your dreams will be fulfilled. It isn't a detour that you're going to Egypt, Joseph. You think it is, but it's not. Well, the fact is, Joseph didn't have the helicopter's eye view, did he? He had the back of a camel eye view. Let me tell you, if you've ever been on the back of a camel, you don't want to be there. I was for about five minutes one time and found that camels like to bite. And they think that they would find an American Presbyterian minister especially tasteful. <laughs> Made the most horrific sound I ever heard when he tried to take a chunk out of me. You don't want to be on an Ishmaelite camel. Joseph had no vantage point to tell himself how this would come out. For all he knew, he'd go into slavery and maybe die a slave in a year or two under some horrible condition. And we are not provided, are we, with a helicopter view? We can't say, oh, yeah, I'm 17 and I know something's going to come along and my initial stab at college and a major in engineering, let's say, uh, isn't going to work out and I'll do something completely different. And, but I'll get through. Don't worry, I can make it happen by my abilities. We don't have the helicopter view. We have to walk along by faith And sometimes we come to what surely does seem like a big detour, something leading, we think, away from God's providential rule. We can't see through it or around it and we can only struggle through it and maybe moan to ourselves, God isn't with me. God isn't caring for me anymore. Well, the first lesson of our passage, I think, is that those things we can only name to be detours in the plan of God are called that only because of our limited viewpoint. It's a detour because I think I know what the outcome should be, but in fact I don't. And it would only truly be a detour if it took me from God's ultimate destination that he plans and desires for me. But yet, with Joseph, we learn it wasn't a detour because God put him exactly where he wanted him to be despite sinful, hateful Jealous action against him. Secondly, I want you to learn from Joseph's experience that we label events as detours because we have a very idealistic and wrong concept of what it means to be in, quote, the center of God's will. You know, we think if we were in the center of of God's will, all should be pleasant. There should be no family conflict. I shouldn't have any problems earning a living and having a good income. My children and family relations should be good. I should really be in that green pasture that Psalm 23 says. He leads me into green pastures and beside still waters. That's the will of God, we say. So why have I got nothing but static and chaos and opposition and bumps and bruises and negative outcomes? Where's the will of God? Well, I say to you, where is it? Please show me where the Bible says that a person in the will of God is always in a green pasture or beside still waters. Sure, Psalm 23 says that's where God is leading us. That's an ultimate destination, but we're not going to be there every hour of our lives and maybe not even for some significant periods of time. And Joseph certainly didn't think he was in the center of God's will as he was being dragged off You know, nothing is said about his protests in chapter 37, but if you went ahead to chapter 42, it looks back and comments on Joseph. I think it's 42, 21. I can't find it fast enough. But it says that Joseph had lifted up strong cries and moans and groans as he was being attacked by his brothers and sold to these strangers. He did protest. He thought, this can't be God. God, it can't be in this at all. But the thing I want to tell you here is that there's a very, very significant reason why I read into chapter 39 and read verse 2. You probably didn't think it was that important, the statement that was in 39 2. But it says something very important. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Joseph was saying, this is a dead-end detour if there ever was one. This can't be what God intends. My father wants me to become the influential leader of my family. Look at the coat he's given me to kind of be my badge of family office and authority, whether it was a multicolored coat or Some Hebrew experts tell us it means a coat with long sleeves, whatever, it was something worn by an aristocrat, somebody designated for leadership. And Joseph was probably proud enough as a 17-year-old to wear that, even though he could see the green-eyed jealousies in his brother's countenance. And he thought, I'm supposed to be the family leader. I'm supposed to take over. How can I go to Egypt with these guys? That would be the end of my life. And furthermore, you need to notice that when the brothers attacked, they were really attacking God as much as Joseph because look what they said. Let us kill the dreamer and see what becomes of his dreams. In other words, they were disturbed most about the dreams that Joseph had announced which we know, again, from our helicopter view, were revelations from God. These were prophecies. These weren't just idle fantasies. It was God showing Joseph and the other family members that he is going to have a place of preeminence. And if you have men like this who are not devoted to God, it's really God who gave the dreams that they were attacking. They couldn't believe that this was really from God, but if it was, they were against it. And yet here we find Joseph in the center of God's will, not heading into a pleasant pasture where everybody liked him and everybody spoke well of him and and stroked him and told him what a great guy he was. No, he wore leg irons as he was hauled off at first to a slave-holding pen in the slave markets of Egypt, probably Alexandria. But there's this all-significant statement there. Genesis 39-2. The Lord was with Joseph. I'm not making too much out of something small here. That is so important. Because Joseph thought, surely the Lord has abandoned me. I'm not in his will. How will I ever recover the life I was supposed to have? The Lord was with Joseph. So if you're calling his trip into Egypt an actual detour, you're wrong in that respect because God went on the detour with him. In fact, it's as though not the camel, but the arms of the Lord carried this man into Egypt where he was destined to do something that would not only save all the members of his family, but thousands and thousands of other lives in a famine that would come some years later. So Joseph left his true earthly father behind weeping and mourning. It says Jacob could not be consoled. He was so Hysterical in his grief. And by the way, what callous cruelty of the brothers who feigned innocence when they. Father, does this look like Joseph's coat, do you think? Wow. How hard can you be? As they watched their father completely break down and knew that they were responsible for this whole deceit, and they just said, We got away with it. We got away with it, guys. But Joseph's best father of all, not his earthly father, but his heavenly father, went with him into Egypt. Our God hates sin. He hates family abuse. He neither causes sin nor condones it. And yet he shows us in a vivid example like this biblical history that he, as our Lord and God, can use sin against us, sin against his word, Ugly violence, jealousy, hatred. He can use this and turn it into something noble and great by which he can accomplish his redemptive purposes. And just like this Old Testament case, the Lord's perfect plan for our lives might have to lead us right through the eye of a hurricane, through the eye of a big storm that lasts for a long time, Before it reaches the peaceful green meadow That we think should be the will of God Eventually it is of course If you're speaking about eternity But on this earth God's will is not always going to have us In a peaceful green meadow So in the third place today I just want you to learn from this passage That Joseph being driven into Egypt Is symbolic of God's great work of redemption In Jesus Christ He is one In fact, one of the most prominent of what we call the types of Christ, a symbol of Christ in the Old Testament. Joseph's life represents many of the things that happened to Jesus. Maybe you think right away of John 1.11. He came to his own, and his own would not receive him. Jesus was rejected by his own people, his own brothers, his brothers who were the sons of Mary and Joseph, thought he was a, a nut, and wanted to arrest him for his own good. The Joseph biography at least opens the way for us to learn the Jesus biography as he entered into suffering and rejection and yet lived honorably before God and because of what Joseph was doing, the whole nation called Israel was being formed out of this swampy sewer of a family in which he lived. Amazing, the raw materials God starts with, isn't it? Just as God used Joseph as a political savior to save hungry people in a great famine, that was an early pattern for what Jesus would do, redeeming a covenant nation out of every people and tongue and language for himself in eternity. Jesus, you remember, volunteered to do this. Joseph didn't volunteer That's one way in which they were different. But Joseph fled temptation just as Jesus did. Joseph thought he was forsaken, and Jesus truly was forsaken. He didn't just feel that he was. He was, as even his father turned his back on him on the cross. You could explore many byways and compare Jesus and Joseph, and I think we'll see some more in coming weeks, Lord willing. We've seen what looked like a terrible detour in this life that was nevertheless the plan of God. And this sends me to a verse in the New Testament like Acts 2.23 to tell us in comparison that Jesus was killed and crucified, as Peter says there, by the hands of lawless men, men who hated God, did it. And yet we read in that same verse, Acts 2.23, that this horrific death of Jesus took place, quote, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Lawless men making what looked like a detour, and yet it was the plan and foreknowledge of God. You and I need to be reminded of that every day of our lives because it can indeed seem like we're on one of God's detours or one of God's Dead ends, and you say, God, why do you do this? Why do you let me go and down such a horrible path that can't lead anywhere? Oh, you wait and see where it can lead. The Lord can lead you away to Himself and to His goals from the worst kind of detours you might imagine. John Calvin said, God, our Savior, will always find a way through the deepest and most profound abyss to reach the accomplishment of whatever he has decreed to do in us. For the believer in Christ with his spirit in us, if we've come to the cross and given him our lives and called him our Lord and say, I will follow you, Lord, then that which looks like a detour simply is not what it appears to be. It's something sin has twisted away, but God can use. And I close today with words that I remember from long ago when the movie and story of the hiding place were current in the early 1970s. I'm sure if you were alive then, you can remember the story of Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. And I remember Corey speaking the words from the Nazi prison camp where she and her sister were, and her sister died. Corey's words were this There's no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still still true today ladies and gentlemen no pit so deep that our Savior is not deeper still Joseph found it out may you learn it on what you might think is a detour even today Father we see here a really cruel story a true story. We think of Abraham Lincoln and all those failures and detours in his life and how you used this man. We know you won't use all of us that dramatically, but get a hold of us while we're in the midst of what we think are detours to see how your hand can deliver and turn and bring to pass that which you desire and no power of sin can stop you. I pray for someone who's really caught in the net of this right now. Will you show them that what they see as a failure or a negation or a dead end is not that to you? Would you bring us by the way of the cross to see your deliverance and the joy of your salvation? In Jesus' name, amen.